Hello, my friends, Jason Sism here, and welcome to another episode of Life on the Run, a Life Church podcast. Life Church is located in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, with a passion to help more people find true life in Jesus Christ by teaching you how to love God, serve others, and share Christ. But the good news for us is that God just doesn't pass over our sin. He removes our sin. He takes it away. He sent us a deliverer in his son, Jesus, who went to the cross and paid the penalty for us, died for our sins, and rose again to give us eternal life. We believe the next 30 or so minutes will change your life. And in today's episode, Pastor Dale begins a new series entitled, One Hit Wonders. The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and when we place our trust in God, our lives are never the same. In this episode, we'll learn how a boy king discovers the power of God's Word in transforming a nation who's forgotten their God. If you would like to download the show notes for today's episode, head over to eplife.org forward slash messages. If you grew up in the 60s and the 70s, I'm sure you heard a lot of one-hit uh, wonders. And, uh, and I was thinking about that one day, and then I began to think about different people in the Bible. Had just some individual ones like Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Gideon. Uh, but, but nonetheless, these one-hit wonders left a powerful legacy for us to follow and to learn from. So today I want to talk about a young king in Israel by the name of Josiah. Uh, Josiah, in fact, he's only in just a few short scriptures. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 23. And uh, Josiah began his reign around 640 B.C. and 640 years before Christ. And uh, he is in a long line of kings that trace their lineage back to King David. Uh, now... Not all of the kings were godly kings. Some of them had, uh, had a very wicked past. Even David had his own mess-ups. And yet he had a repentant heart. And the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. So Josiah's grandfather, his name was Manasseh. Manasseh was a wicked king, one of the most wicked kings in, uh, in Israel and Judah's history. Uh, in fact, uh, he was carried off into Babylon because of, of his uh, wickedness and because he had turned his back on God. And, uh, but there in Babylon, he humbled himself before God and had a repentant heart, and uh, God blessed him. By the way, what a reminder to us, don't wait until calamity comes before you get your heart right with God. Uh, that is, that, I mean, obviously any time is a good time, but don't wait until then. Get your heart right with God, young. Well, Manasseh died and uh, his son Amon became king. And Amon was, uh, was also wicked. He did evil in the sight of God and he refused to humble himself before the Lord and, uh, and, and 
And in his story is that even his own staff members ended up assassinating him and killing him. It was just a bad scene. By the way, some people think that the Bible is boring. Let me tell you, read the Bible because it is filled with murder and intrigue and, and uh, greed. And I mean, it's just, it's romance. Whatever you like, it's in there. It's just, it's filled with so many wonderful things. So the Bible is anything but boring. It is full of life. Um, so let me pick up this story here actually in chapter 22, in verse 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Eight years of age. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. And then down to verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say his father Manasseh or his father Amon, but it says his father David. He's talking about his great, 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 great grandfather. That this is the guy that, that if you were to look at Josiah's life, his life reflected what King David's life was like. His heart was tender and soft toward the Lord. And he began his reign at the age of eight years old. Could you imagine waking up at eight years old and you're like the dude? I mean, you're the, you're the king, you're the president, you're the one in charge. I mean, eight years of age, leading an entire nation. Now, some people think that maybe an eight-year-old would do better in Washington. But anyway, that's a different story. What makes Josiah so significant? What makes his life so significant? Is that Josiah brought about Judah's last revival. It, when you look at the Old Testament, in, in the life of the kings, there was a total of nine different revivals that took place. Actually, only 15 in all of the Old Testament. A, a revival where people turned their heart back to the Lord. And really, what is a revival? A revival is, is God's outpouring upon a people who have turned from sin and turned their heart back to God. That's really what a revival is. It's an awakening. It's a refreshing. It's a renewal. It's coming to life again. And this is what happened in, in Judah's day, in, in, or in, uh, in Josiah's time as he was leading the, the people of Judah, is that they had an awakening. And, and Josiah led that awakening, that, that their hearts got right back with God. But this happened to be a pattern that happened so many times in Israel's history, is that God made a covenant with them. Follow me, and it'll go well with you. Don't follow me, and it is not going to go well with you. And so the people would follow God. God would bless them. They would prosper as a nation. And then in their prosperity, they would forget about God. And they would begin to serve other gods. And then calamity would come. They would face time of war. They would, they would maybe be carried off into captivity. They would experience famine and hardship. And so God would send a prophet. He would send a priest. He would send a, a king 
One that would turn their heart back to God again and they would repent of their sin. They would get their heart right with God and because God is a God of covenant, God would, God would bless them because their heart had turned back toward him and then they would prosper, they would, be in bless, they would be blessed and then the cycle would continue again and they would later forget about God and, and life goes on until again another priest or prophet or king would come along and remind them of God's covenant. And this is the story of Josiah. Josiah was the one that God used to bring the people of Judah back into fellowship with him. And I'll tell you, what a message for us. This is really God's message for you this morning, is that new beginnings are possible. New beginnings are possible. It doesn't matter where you've been, what your past has been, what last week or last month or last year was like. This is a brand new beginning for you. Just like in the time of Josiah, God longs, he longs to draw his wayward children back to him. It's his desire. He longs to stoke the flames of our heart with revival. So what did Josiah do to bring about a revival? What, what was the plan that he used? Well, let's walk through that. Let me give you four things this morning. If you have your insert this morning, you can follow along and you can fill in the blanks and, and uh, use extra space as you need. Number one is this, is that Josiah renewed their promise. He renewed their promise. Let's pick this up in, in 2 Kings chapter 23, here in verse 3. It says, the king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And then all of the people, I love this last line, next screen, then all of the people pledged themselves to the covenant. All of the people pledged themselves to the covenant. What did he do? He renewed the covenant. He reminded them of God's word. God said, you follow me, I'm going to bless you. You follow my leadership, things are going to go well with you. And so he reminded them of that covenant. So how did this begin? Well, you go back into chapter 22, verse 11, is that we find that the king discovered the book of the law, that, that he pulled it off of a shelf and he, he, he brushed the dust off of it, blew it off, and, and, and then he, he opened it and, and he began to read and he began to read about this covenant that God made with his forefathers. And he began to read the stories of how God blessed them and God led them and God protected them and God guided them. And that when their heart was one with God, that, that things went well with them. And God said, and if you don't, then it's not going to go well with you. And so he renewed the covenant. He began to read it. And I tell you, it's amazing what happens when we read the Bible. It's amazing what happens. It amaze, it, it, as I read this and I go through my devotions and I go through my plan of not just reading the Bible, but, but in, in study is, 
is there are things that I know I've read and I've read and I've read and all of a sudden God's spirit just brings it back to life to me. Has that ever happened to you? You read the Bible and read the Bible and read the Bible, read the Bible, and one day you read the Bible or you read a verse, and all of a sudden it just comes alive. And that's what God's word will do for us. Let me encourage you to develop a daily practice of reading God's word. Let me also encourage you to get in the practice of bringing the Bible to church. I have one amen. We live in a digital age where it is so easy to just, and, and I'm thankful for that. I mean, there are times I'm, you know, get to a restaurant before someone else and, and I pull out my phone. I got a Bible app on my phone and, and, and I'll read a chapter or two if I'm waiting for someone to come in. And, and I love technology. I, I love what we are able to do. But there is something, there is something about bringing your Bible to, to church. And opening it up in your own devotion. So Josiah realized that they had been going in a wrong direction. That they had gotten off of the path again. They had forsaken God. And, and, and when you read the story, here are the things that were happening. They built altars to other gods. They had prostitutes in God's house. Sexual immorality was normal. They had palm readers and fortune tellers that were, cha- that were charging people money to hear their future. Parents were offering their little children as offerings to their false gods. There, there was no value anymore, the dignity for the sacredness of life. And we look at that and we read that in scripture and we're like, how could they have gone so far? And yet we realize that they were just desensitized to sin. And this is the danger for all of us, is that when we get away from God's word, we can become desensitized to sin. And there are things that can happen in society. There are things that society pushes forward that we're like, well, that sounds good to me. And we realize that it gets so far away from what God's word says that we don't even realize it anymore. And it's easy for us to get off track when we don't put God's word the center of our life. And when people forget about God's word as our nation suffers, we as a people suffer. God is still God. He is still on the throne. And I am convinced, I am so convinced that what we do for the most Helpless in society matters. And the most helpless in society is the unborn. And I believe that God's actions toward us as a nation are determined. And so Josiah reminded the people, we're going to renew our covenant with God. We're going to follow and serve him. And all it takes to have a new beginning is to turn and follow God. That's all it takes. All it takes. And so let's make it personal. It's saying, God, I haven't lived up to my end of the bargain. I haven't lived up to following after you. But from this point on, with your help, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to come home. And that's really the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. 
that they lived their life apart from God and all of a sudden they came to themselves and they came back home. So they renewed their promise. Number two is they remembered God's providence. They remembered God's providence. Look at, uh, at verse 21. It says, Then the king gave this order to all of the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant. Celebrate the Passover. This is the first time that the Passover was correctly celebrated since before the time of David. So there had been over 400 years where God's people had not faithfully celebrated the Passover. And the Passover was all about remembering God's covenant. It was all about remembering how God delivered them. God sent a deliverer and God delivered them and God brought them into the promised land. That was what the whole Passover is about, is that God passed over their sin and gave them life. And we have the same type of deliverance. We celebrated that this morning as we celebrated communion together. But the good news for us is that God just doesn't pass over our sin. He removes our sin. He takes it away. He sent us a deliverer in his son Jesus who went to the cross and paid the penalty for us, died for our sins, and rose again to give us eternal life. That's what we do. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of him. That's why I love to receive communion together is because it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And we get to do it together. Notice this. The king gave the order to all of the people celebrate the Passover. So they did this together. Last week, my granddaughter uh, learned a new word, and it was the word together. Together. Grandpa, let's go together. Grandpa, let's eat together. Let's wash our hands together. Let's go to your office together. That was her new word. It was everything was about together. And this is what we get to do together. We get to remember what God did for us. That's why coming and fellowshipping together in God's house is so important because we are reminded of God's providence, his faithfulness, his promises, and his miracles. Number three is they reformed their practices. They reformed their practices. Verse 24 says, Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and the spiritists, the household gods, the idols, and all of the other detestable things seen in Judah and in Jerusalem. And this he did to fulfill the requirements of the law written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, had discovered in the temple of the Lord. In other words, what he did is he brought, brought the people to a national repentance, a repentance that they had been going the wrong way, they had to change their thinking, and they had to come back to the Lord. So they had to get rid of everything that stood in the way between them and God. And so repentance is always a component of revival. Always is a component. Because without repentance, there is no revival. And I believe it's the reverse as well. Without revival, there is no repentance. 
But the danger, of course, is that we can be tempted to believe that, well, I can change my behavior, and therefore I am in a right relationship with God. That's the danger that we have. That I can just be a good moral person, that I don't do those things. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run around with women that do. That I can just be a nice, wonderful person and I can be in a right relationship with God. But our salvation is not dependent upon our behavior, nor is it a reward for right living. And this is what led Israel back into their cycle. They would take credit for the prosperity and they would forget the goodness and the blessing of God. So, what do we do? We repent. But repentance is a reminder to us of God's grace toward us, of God's work at the cross. So what do we need to repent of? Our thought patterns, our behaviors. Last week we looked at the Lord's Supper and broke that apart. And right in the middle of it, it We pray, and Father, forgive us of our sins, our debts, our trespasses. Forgive us. And so there are things that we must come to where we realize, God, I need to turn from this. But then repentance isn't just turning from something. It is turning toward also. So we turn from sin, and we turn toward faith in God. And the evidence of repentance is a changed life and a changed heart. So the final thing, the final thing that I see in Josiah's life is this, is that he rekindled their passion. He rekindled their passion. Verse 25, it says this, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his strength in accordance with all of the law of Moses. I'm reminded of the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And this is what Josiah did. Wilbur Smith, the church historian, he notes nine characteristics of all of these revivals in the Old Testament He says, number one, they all occurred during times of moral darkness and national depression. In other words, there was a time when people had turned their back on God and things had just not gone well for them. And it happened in those times. Number two, they all began in the heart of a consecrated servant of God who became the energizing power behind it. In other words, there was one individual that said, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to set my heart right for God. I'm going to live with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength for God. And that one person is the one that led a national revival. You can read about that even in modern history. Individuals that led major movements whose heart was consecrated with God. Here's the question, will it be you? Will it be you? Number three, each revival rested on the word of God and most were the result of proclaiming God's word with power. In other words, it it 
Revival does not happen apart from God's word. It always happens in the midst of it. Number four is this, is that all resulted in a return to the worship of God. In other words, worship became their focus. It became their priority. It became their passion. Getting in God's presence and worshiping. Gathering with other believers in worship. Number five, each witnessed the destruction of idols where they existed. I believe we have idols. We have idols in our life, in our individual life. I believe we have idols as a nation that we need to get rid of. In each revival, there was a recorded separation from sin. In every revival, the people returned to obeying God's law. Number eight, there was a restoration of great joy and gladness. Remember where it started? There was great calamity, a time of darkness, a time of depression. But at the end of it, there was a time of joy and gladness. And every revival was followed by a period of national prosperity. It happened in the time of Israel. It always happens. And this reminds me of the promise. We looked at this last week, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. God says, if my people, he's not talking about anybody else. If my people, if my people who are called by my name, not any other name, not other people, but my people called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. In other words, not talking about the world turning from their wicked ways, but if my people turn from their wicked ways, then, here's the condition, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I believe God wants to do a great work in our land today and in our world. But one of, the, one of the undeniable features of revival is that God's people get passionate for God and for the things of God again. Let me end with this story. It happened on a bright, sunny Sunday morning in 18th century London. The streets were filled with people as they were hurrying on their way to church. They were dressed in their Sunday finery. And, and in the midst of the crowd was a man by the name of Robert Robinson. And Robert Robinson, on that morning, was a very lonely man. The sound of church bells reminded him of a time in his past when he was passionate for God. And, and yet... Through the years, that passion became cold. And it had been years since he had set his foot in church. He became disillusioned. And there is a gradual defection from God and for his word. So he's walking along the street that morning, and he heard the clip-clop of the horse in the carriage behind him, and he went to reach up to, uh, to stop the driver, and, and uh, he looked inside, and he noticed that there was a woman sitting inside of the carriage dressed in her Sunday finery, and she was ready for church, and he was about ready to wave the carriage on because he wasn't planning on going to church. And, and, and the woman on the inside said, to, to the driver, stop. 
So she stopped and she turned to Rob, Robert Robinson and said, are, are you going to church? And he was about ready to say no. And something inside of him just kind of blurted out, yes. So the door opened, he jumped in and, and they're on their way and they, they exchanged their pleasantries and gave their introductions. And when he gave his name, there was a sparkle in this woman's eye that that name sounded awfully familiar. So she reached into her purse and she pulled out a little booklet of inspirational words and poems. And she pulled it out and opened to a ribbon marked page and said, I was just reading a poem by an author by the name of Robert Robinson. Could it be? Could, could it really be you? And she handed him the book and he, he said, yes, it it, it is me. And she said, oh, how wonderful. How wonderful it is that I, I get to meet you. I mean, imagine meeting a famous author or a, you know, a movie star or a rock star or whatever it may be. And he said, yeah, he said, but those words were written a long time ago. And when she replied back, I, I just can't believe it's you. He could hardly hear the words because he was going back into a time in his life when his heart had been once on fire for God, but it had grown cold. And the words that were on that poem were ones that later were set to music and ones that became a famous hymn. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. It may look familiar to you. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And as I slipped to the bottom of the page where he read these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And he could barely read those last few lines through his tears. He says, yes, I wrote those words and I've lived those words. I was prone to wander. And I was prone to leave the God I love. And, and the woman suddenly understood the moment. And she said, yes, that may be true. But you also wrote, here's my heart. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. And in that moment, he rededicated his heart back to God and he walked with him the rest of his days. Where are you in your walk with God? Where are you in your walk with God? Like the hymn writer, have you found yourself drifting away from God in his presence? Is a fire that once burned with passion now grown cold? Have you been prone to wander? Prone to leave the God you love? We're very much prone to wander. We're very much prone. But as Robinson did, we can find the road back. We can experience a new beginning. We can have a fire lit in our heart again. And it comes with these simple words. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Thank you for listening to today's message entitled, Josiah, A Pattern for Revival. 
This has been Life on the Run, a Life Church podcast. And my friends, if you enjoyed today's message, please tell somebody about this podcast and help spread the message of Jesus Christ. And if you've not done so, you can subscribe to our show by going to eplife.org forward slash messages. And we would love any help to keep this show going. If you would like to give a donation, simply head over to eplife.org forward slash giving. And my friends, if you're in the Twin Cities area, please stop by and visit us at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. We would love to meet you. And you can find more information by visiting our website. And my friends, again, thank you for listening. My name is Jason Sism. We'll see you right here again next week.